This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you for taking time to join me on today and welcome, a special welcome as always to those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Special shout out to the folks that were recently at the UX South Africa event that I spoke at. Uh, I love engaging with the folks from South Africa and uh, we look forward to being with you again in the not too distant future. We are going to break up the current series on emotional intelligence in UX. I didn't want to go straight through. I want to insert one, possibly two, of the talking shop sessions. So I've got another guest with me today, and I love bringing guests on this show. I love hearing the contributions of others, and I love for other people to hear the voices that are out there. I, I, I say it often, and I say it again, that there's a lot of voices in UX today that, frankly, we don't need to hear. They're not really adding they're just happy to be able to, to be on a on a podium, but they're not really concentrating on the value. Uh, I'm fortunate. I'm happy that I know people that are truly contributing to the discipline, people that have something that need to be said and need to be heard. And today I have with me Dr. Giles Morrison from the other side of the pond <laughs> who's <laughs> joining me on today. Welcome, Dr. Giles. Glad to have you. On this it's show, a pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you for for having me. Oh, absolutely. And we dive in because we're going to be moving a little faster than normal in our session today. Uh, we're going to dive right in today, and I tell people who's on the show, but I let them introduce themselves. So, Doctor mm-hmm. Giles, we'll start off by you. Uh, I'll, I'll borrow from uh, Debbie Levitt on this one, as I always do. <laughs> tell us, uh, tell the people who you are and why they should care. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Dr. Giles Morrison. And I think the reason why you should care about me really is, um, yeah, let's just go for it. I'm the pioneer of clinical UX. It's me that coined that term. There ain't no other originator. I am the originator of that term. And um, clinical UX is a vital part of the wider UX community. It's allowing professionals to specialize in designing products and services that are used by clinicians and patients using a specialist knowledge of healthcare, of health economics, just the general healthcare ecosystems. So um, yeah, the people that I teach, the people that I work with and work for are leading the charge of having much better use of healthcare, much better use of technology in healthcare to really ensure that people are getting the best health outcomes that they can and people working in healthcare can work most efficiently as possible. That's me. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I like that. I do it being a person who's working in what constitutes medical uh, UX, medical related UX today and having done it a little bit in the past, it is a little bit of a different animal. And Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of folks in UX today are so excited to get into UX 
but they don't take the time and, and some people don't have the mentors to help them to understand the importance of the work that they're doing as a UX professional. Yes. Where do we fit in, in, the, in, the, in the larger scheme of things? I mean, we're, when we're talking about doing UX from a medical perspective, we're talking life and death. If some, We're not just That's talking right. about where's the button or these silly things that pop up on LinkedIn all the time, uh, which mm-hmm. is better design A or design B. No, we're talking life or death here. We're That's talking right. uh, the work that I do. We're talking about helping hospitals to to manage their uh, the, their their drug supply uh, their pharmaceuticals, somebody's going to take that and go the wrong direction with it. <laughs> uh, they need to be able to see what's going on with the medicine that they are, that they have in their inventory. How are they doing? Uh, how well can it be managed? Where are the opportunities for savings? Things of that nature. So we're talking mm-hmm. about hospitals being smarter. We're talking about hospitals being yeah. sharper and them being able to see that. And then even when it gets to the point of distributing the medicine to the patients to be able to do that with accuracy, with 100% accuracy, this is, that's where I work today. So this is life and death UX. This yeah. is optimization uh, best practices, helping hospitals to be their absolute best. And that's going to trickle all the way down to me, you, or somebody we love being yep. impacted and coming out the hospital okay. So, Precisely. yeah. So this is big. Yeah. This is big. I mean, people working in OEM, automotive OEM, or say, mm-hmm. uh, say autonomous vehicles. I-, I remember being in a meeting once where some people were talking about, um, the dashboard that they were creating for an autonomous vehicle. And they were just excited about the design. When you get too excited about your design and lose track on who we're designing for and don't understand the broader scheme of things, mm-hmm. there could be problems. And they were, they were excited about this, this dashboard, Dr. Giles, that, uh, yeah. So when they do this, then this indicator changes over here and it changes colors. And I let them go through their whole spiel. And I said, what about colorblind people? <laughs> all you're doing is all you're doing is life and death, right? Yeah. All you're doing is changing colors. The colorblind people don't notice that. You need to have mm-hmm. something along with it because best practices for iconography calls for text and icon. That's so right. you can't That's just right. do that. And everybody just dropped their jaw and got silent. And um, there was no, nobody responded to me after a few seconds. <laughs> I didn't do the standard mic drop and walk. I waited, <laughs> and nobody had anything to say, so I walked out. All I can do yeah. is hope that they changed it. But yeah, we, we need to understand that. And I think what you're doing is great. I know some people take umbrage to things like that, but yeah. it's no, it, it, it's okay. Call it clinical UX. It is what it is because you're focusing on that specialization that's right. and there, that's it. There is, there is a focus here, which is distinct from UX in healthcare generally, because you can do loads of projects in healthcare, but an understanding of clinical pathways like, why the doctors are working the way that they're working, why patients are responding in certain ways, why we're having to adhere to certain laws and regulations. This isn't optional knowledge, it's mandatory knowledge. Mm. And when there is so much more mandatory knowledge, it actually means that the stakes are higher. The game that you're playing is yep. much more serious. Yep. So failure can't be seen as an option. In fact, a lot of the projects that I work on, if there's a failure, it could lead to what we call... um particularly in clinical practice, never event. So for example, a woman should never die after giving birth because she's bled out. You know, a patient should never be able to strangle themselves 
on the ward. Like it should never happen. Right. It could happen, but there has to be processes, um, checks in place that means that the likelihood of that happening is virtually zero. It's not actually zero, but it comes as close to zero as possible. And when this comes out in the field of clinical UX, when we're looking at um, particularly digital solutions, is that the doctor, the nurse, the other healthcare professional using this electronic record system, they should never be looking at the wrong patient's record when mm-hmm. they've got a patient in front of them. Yep. They should never be, you know, inputting data in the wrong field. Like it should never be happening that this thing gets recorded and leads to an inappropriate diagnosis or inappropriate treatment plan, which then leads to fatal harm to the patient. This should never be happening. Right. And right. so when people are a lot more flippant about the knowledge of healthcare of health economics, of the way clinicians and patients are, are, are behaving to these software solutions, it means they make compromises on the quality of the solution, which just increases the risk of harm. This stuff is not trivial. It's very, very serious. Like right. you said before, right. it's life and death, life and death matters. And I've and I've I've seen this sort of stuff happen very early on in my career, where we're working on a system and it was very easy to introduce clinical risk. Because the workflow of the nurses, they suddenly had the burden of responsibility that doctors or specialist nurses would have in um, determining what would be the normal blood glucose reading, blood sugar sugar reading Mm -hmm. for this patient. And if the blood sugar reading that's recorded is outside of range, it has huge implications of subsequent treatment plans that are offered to the patient. So you have to have the right blood sugar range and accurately take the blood sugar reading and document it because there's just other things going on that's completely dependent on that being done correctly. If that's not done correctly and you miss someone who's got low blood sugar reading and you otherwise think that they're well, so you're not checking them regularly throughout the day, Uh unless that patient tells you, hey, I'm dying right now, they'll just (laughs) die. They'll just die. And this this is the stuff that even happens when we're not introducing new digital solutions, like the status quo is inefficient. Mm-hmm. That's why, yep, yep. you know, you go to hospital, people are catching the so-called superbugs. While you go into hospital, people are having, you know, the wrong leg chopped off. You know, they went in there Ooh. to, you know, have a hip replacement and then they've, you know, had a leg removed. It was sort of madness. These human factors issues are already an issue now. Right. So you're saying let's bring in new software and you're not taking human factors and ergonomics and general concepts and principles of UX seriously. You're just making a complicated and riskful situation worse. So um, my job ultimately is to A, try and reduce that risk directly from my own actions working on projects and to train up others to reduce that risk and bring in products and services that are are ultimately going to make healthcare processes more effective, the way that clinicians are working more effective and efficient, and for patients to achieve better health outcomes. That is phenomenal. That is phenomenal. And and that's, I mean, when I hear you talk about that, that that is also well put. It makes me think about some of the, the factors and we're sort of transitioning into talking about broader UX here. I think at mm-hmm. that point, the when people want to do, we talked about this a little bit before we start recording. The when you t- when you think about UX and the flood of people 
that mm-hmm. want to be in UX. They, they're they attracted to UX for whatever the reason might be. And a lot of those reasons aren't, aren't great. Uh, yeah. I did a series a few weeks ago called, So You Want to Be a UXer? And it was the longest series I've ever done because and, and it was trying to address and help people to understand. Yeah, you might be attra- attracted to UX, but are you sure you this is really for you? Yes. Do you really have the right makeup? Because we are so- trying to save lives mm-hmm. over here. We are trying to to make people's lives better. I always like to say that better is the mantra word, so to speak, for mm-hmm. UX, because we're always trying to make things better. It's all That's about right. being better. It's not about making uh finishing the sprint on time it's about being better uh i've worked on so many agile projects in my life hey we're not ready it was a two-week sprint we're not let's extend this sprint to three weeks and let's let's make sure to point that every time that we're done with the sprint that we're doing something that's making things better not just trying to check boxes because Mm -hmm. somebody when somebody lost their leg man that's a gruesome a story, but it's real. Somebody gets the wrong lead taken off because somebody was trying to check a box mm-hmm. and, and checking boxes just, it creates problems. Uh, I, I talked to somebody yesterday about minimum viable product and how that's become a curse term in a sense yeah. that, that it, it's not a blessing. It's a curse in that yeah. what they meant well when they came up with a minimum viable product, but as people tend to do, it starts out pure and then somebody gets their hand on it and they shortcut it mm-hmm. and we're done. Now V doesn't mean viable anymore. Um, <laughs> we don't, I don't know what it means. Uh, actually, I, I, I've been known to say minimal, minimal visible product. It's, it's about the product being much. visible, but it's not viable anymore. Yeah. As soon as soon as <laughs> they can just get something out that I've literally worked with, with colleagues who said that a minimum viable product is the product that has the least features, it could be the ugliest version of the product that you can still convince at least one person to pay for. Oh. I'm like, hang on, how can you no. be proud that you managed to convince someone, one person, to pay for something that you know is a bit crap? Like, how, how <laughs> can you even say that this makes good business sense? Right, Because first right. of all, apart from the fact that you've admitted that the product isn't very good, you've also only pushed to get one person to pay that's now sad. unless you're talking about something that's got a retail value of like a billion dollars getting only one customer <laughs> is not good business not viable you should be you know so it's not viable it's not viable <laughs> and you see this you see this in healthcare quite a lot now where the the minimum viable product has become a a version of your offering that investors are willing to invest in that can show that people are willing yep. to pay yep. for your product. Now, <laughs> the caveat here though is who is actually paying? Like what problem are you solving for this um, payee? Now, yeah. oftentimes I'm finding, particularly in the realm of digital therapeutics. So very quickly, a digital therapeutic is an evidence-based digital solution that prevents, manage or treats disease. So it's like you go to your mobile phone, you say, to the system, you know, you've got type two diabetes, which recognizes this is your blood sugar reading. This is the amount of insulin or other medication that you're taking to control your diabetes. It then tells you based on your blood sugar reading, change your dose to X, Y, Z. So it's not using a clinician to give you this instruction. 
it is actually itself doing that calculation. So that's just a quick example. Now, oftentimes, a minimum viable product is determining that this digital therapeutic now helps someone who has a diagnosis, maybe type 1, type 2 diabetes, any disease, it doesn't really matter. But this person doesn't really have much severe disease. Now, the reason why that's a requirement for an MVP is that an MVP oftentimes got such basic features that if someone was very unwell with their chronic illness, it wouldn't be able to help them. So often you've seen, oh, it does drug tracking. So it records what medication you're on and, and tells you when to take it. Oh, it finds out whether you're unwell. And then when it finds that you're unwell, it says, speak to your doctor. It doesn't actually give you any advice other than speak to your doctor. I don't need my phone to tell me I should speak to a doctor when I don't feel unwell. How is that helping me? You know, and then you're getting you're getting these apps now, which are encouraging you to go through loads and loads of content because content is supposed to keep people sticky to an app. But the thing is, is if you don't have a problem with your disease and the content isn't keeping you any healthier, people won't use it. So a lot of these MVPs, it's a generic app, right? Mm -hmm. It's really a generic app that's recording some information about someone's health, but it's doing stuff for people who aren't that sick. So it's not improving health outcomes. It's just maintaining. I wouldn't even say it's maintaining. It's, It's giving this false impression that it's keeping people healthy. If you're already healthy and stable disease, the chances of you having a flare up or or a deterioration of your health is already very slim because you're well right now. (laughs) You should be trying to encourage getting people who are not well, who have healthcare problems to use these products and see how we can improve their health outcomes. Because when you serve underserved communities, underserved people, people who are already unwell, when you're keeping them well, you already have a solution that is great for people who are quite stable with their conditions. Yeah. And so this MVP is, is being used as a way to get investment. It's not often being truly used as a way to validate whether you're solving a real problem. Because again, I don't need an MVP to tell me if the problem I'm trying to solve right now is a real problem. That's what user research is for. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a messed up situation. That's one of the big reasons I do so much teaching is so that the people entering the field of healthcare UX, clinical UX, they have that foundation yes. of, of understanding, well, how do I do this work properly? Swiftly followed by, now, how do I do this work properly given that the work environment is a bit messed up, a bit toxic, or there's a so low UX maturity, or I'm having to work on my own, there isn't much funding. How can I still maintain the high standards that I was taught we should be striving towards in context, in the real, you know, working situation? Um, because that's what I think is, is also a, a big thing that's missing in, in UX generally, is that people are not really knowing what battles um, they should be fighting. <laughs> yes. Like, there's times you have to be pragmatic to just get the product out there. There's times as well where you have to fail so that some people learn from the failure. Yes. And there's other times when you're like, you know what, this is a compromise I'm not willing to make and I don't need to make it. Like you're telling me we don't have time for research. Like I've already scheduled 
the, the, uh, the session with the participants. Why are you trying to encourage me to cancel the research that I've already got planned and is, I've got time to do? Right, right. You know? So it's this sort of, this is a, a UX leadership problem, really. Yes, yes. When you've got good UX leadership, people can then understand what battles they should or shouldn't be fighting in UX, which then means that MVPs suddenly become either obsolete or true to their original <laughs> definition of trying to be a way of understanding um, how to validate whether you're solving the right problem or, not, or, ne- or whether there's business value in this or not. Right. You just helped me to get back to one thing that I, I skipped earlier. Mm-hmm. The character, the traits that we need mm-hmm. that I, I keep saying it, and maybe this factors into this current series I'm doing on emotional intelligence, that it's not just about the work. It's not just about your wireframes and your prototypes and all of those different things that we do. There's a whole host of underlying elements. And and I, so I'm back to passion again, starting at passion. Mm-hmm. Things that people need, uh, passion, a good foundation. Yeah, uh, that, that stood out to me when you said that, because a lot of people, they really don't have a foundation. No, They're getting no. in because they heard about the pay. Uh, I literally, somebody literally recently said that they wanted to get into UX because they wanted to make easy money. They feel that terrible. <laughs> they just want to so shameful. That's so shameful. And, and life and death. Uh, optimization of quality of life. We impact the quality of people's lives and people right. are coming in. They don't know that. Um, the, the the emotional intelligence, the different factors there, empathetic. I know some people hate. the. the I know some people who really don't like it when somebody says empathy. And I'm saying we don't want to be have tunnel vision when people are mentioning things like this because mm-hmm. what, it, you know, clarify what somebody means first mm-hmm. because 10 people talk about empathy and they could be talking about 10 different things. Mm-hmm. I love Adele Lynn's definition of empathy that it's really about seeing things from the perspective of other people. Mm-hmm. And I wish people would be more would, would take care to find out what people mean when they say something first, yeah. because I mean, when we were a kid, we opened up a dictionary. We've all done it. We opened yes. up a dictionary. You can see the word empathy and there's probably, I don't know. I haven't done it. I just know that this is the example is, is on point five mm-hmm. different definitions just for that one word. So, so, and, and none of them are incorrect. And each definition is applicable based on the context in which it's used. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the question is, when somebody says empathy, what is the context uh, that's applicable so that we can all be on the same page? Because, you know, a lot of people are getting into UX and they don't have empathy for anyone. Yeah, they genuinely don't care about people. This is something which we find even in medicine that's what I love about being um, a clinical UX professional is that there's huge parallel between being a doctor or other healthcare professional and being a UX practitioner. And a big thing is that you have to really genuinely care about other people Yeah. because you have to, you have to genuinely care about someone else in order to care that they are suffering in the little things. It's not suffering in the big things. Like yeah. I'm sure most people, regardless of whatever makes humans different, can care if someone was to suddenly die in front of them, that they would care. Like if they were to see um, a baby born and then hear that they've died moments later, these would devastate most people, right? right? There are a few sadistic people in the world, but I would imagine (laughs) most people would would care if they heard about a baby just suddenly dying. Right, right. right? Now, 
These are the big ways that people can care about someone else. But it's when you actually is like, I really care about this person wanting to encourage their friends or loved ones to use my product. I really care about someone actually feeling satisfied after using this very, very tiny feature. I want to actually care that someone values the time and effort I've taken to write this little message that encourages them when they're using my product. Like just care about the little things. This means you genuinely yes. care about people. Yes. You genuinely care about yourself. You value what you're doing, but also valuing other people, genuinely caring about others. Yes. And this is crucial in clinical UX because there's going to be times, like a great example, again, working as a doctor, you have to treat racists. You have to treat, you know, people who yep. otherwise are, are, are oppressors because they deserve to be healthy. You have to remove your own ego, remove whatever yes. focus on yourself and focus on the other person because they have needs, wants that have to be satisfied, then they deserve to be satisfied in healthcare. Everyone, even if you're on death row, you're going to prison for, for life, you you deserve to live healthy for the rest of your days. That That is the basic yep. human human right. And I think empathy is what, gives rise to people genuinely caring about others is to at least try and see things from someone else's point of view. Because you, like, I'm a man, right? I will never know what it means to be a pregnant woman. I worked as an obstetrician. I helped bring babies into the world. But no, I would never know what it means to push a baby out of a <laughs> vagina. I don't have one, you know? But I can at least appreciate that that would be uncomfortable. It would be stressful. It would be scary. Yeah. The fact that now suddenly there's new life to look after. I can at least appreciate this. And so if I'm serving um, a, a patient who's just given birth or I'm creating a digital product to help someone who's just given birth, the same empathy is required. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and yeah, and, and people need to check themselves. And yeah. I, I love also the fact in, in the emotional intelligence component how that some authors have said and encourage people, if you don't have the level of emotional intelligence you need now, you can still develop it. That's right. If you, Cause so many people today, like the way that they come after some of us saying that we're gatekeepers when we try mm -hmm. to really being a gatekeeper only means that you're advocating for quality. That's, That's right. it. It's not trying to keep anybody out of anything. Matter of fact, we're trying to help you to come in, but trying to help you to come in the right door. We got too That's many right. UXers today or aspiring UXers that keep trying to come in through the back window instead of coming in through the front door. So nobody's trying to keep you out. Matter of fact, any, any sensible person will try to keep somebody from entering in at the wrong place, from That's entering right. in at a, at a non-authorized entry point. That's just mm -hmm. common sense. That's just standard, even though common sense isn't common. But That's right. we just want you to come in the front door. We want you to come in and swipe your badge. We want you to come in and go to the right floor. When you go into a hospital, you can't just walk in without somebody checking you. You can't come into a police station without somebody checking you. Or at least you would hope that that, yeah. that isn't right. Right. So UX is no different. It's no different. And 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 I remember we were talking also about uh, uh, someone had asked me about certifications and I said I was saying and I actually posted this to LinkedIn uh yesterday 
that certifications are a good idea, but when people mention things like accounting and the medical profession and, and the legal profession and talk about the certifications that they have, they, they forget that those, how long have those professions been around? And how long have those professions had an opportunity to mature to the point they have to mature before they brought the certifications right. into place as a discipline? We're not mature. Uh, we're not. We're not. We've got too many job titles and too <laughs> many alternative ways of doing the same thing. Yeah. Which then means that trying to um, certify anybody means that you're going to have to prove skill or ability in working in ways that you never knew you were supposed to work in yeah because you never thought it would be necessary <laughs> because you never you never face the same situations but you know as much as there can be issues at times with um when you train as a doctor that you go to different parts of the world and your qualification isn't recognized the truth is if a patient was to have their heart stop in front of you right now, it's the same drugs, it's the same procedures that you were going through, whether you studied in Kenya or Canada, it doesn't matter. And mm -hmm. this is this is the thing that is different in UX is that whereas one person is like, yeah, I'm going to go and use Actual to do some prototyping and I would have just used Sketch maybe to feed into Actual. Someone else is talking about Photoshop and Illustrator and then Figma and then Marvel. And then someone else is like, oh, I don't need any of those tools. I'll just use Balsamic. And then suddenly you've got people talking about, well, actually, um, you don't need to use any of that stuff. I'll just do a paper prototype. <laughs> and then, so you're talking about you want to standardize this practice when people have, have not got standard practice in UX, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I think you're right when you're talking about the fact that as a, as a profession is still not mature enough to allow certification. Um, I know that we've got the likes of the UXPA, IXDA, and these other sort of big organizations that should be trying to lobby for standardization. Mm. I haven't seen it at all yet. <laughs> no. It hasn't happened at all. And we won't. <laughs> we, won't we won't pull that soapbox out uh, today. Yeah, it's not. And I did tell folks that education right now, they forget also that um, the legal arena, the medical arena, uh, and the accounting arena, all of those certifications, you don't get those certifications without the tie to academia. That's right. <laughs> so you so right now that's our base. It, it needs to be fixed as well. Uh, mm -hmm. There's there's problems in education. I'm like that's where I'm getting my doctorate is in mm -hmm. education, and I'm hoping to do. I've been working in education. I've been educating people since 1983. Mm -hmm. So it's so I've, I've been doing education for I mean formally in corporate America. Uh, I've been building mm -hmm. people since even before that. So, so I've got a long track record that, that, that is well beyond even my UX experience when it comes mm -hmm. to things of that nature. So I've always had a heart to be an educator and it's funny that everything went full circle with me, but we've got to education right now is our, that's our golden goose. I agree. If we're going I to agree. help that's, people, it just has to be done the right way. Yeah. Now that's why I, I even teach through the clinical UX Academy, my clinical UX courses for that, that reason that unless people have got the right foundational knowledge about mm -hmm. UX, yep. there's just going to be continual issues with how they continue to grow and evolve as a UX professional. Because it's lifelong learning at the end of the day. Yes. I love teaching as well. That's the other big reason why I do it. But we need to have that standard practice 
some principles, ethics that roots you. Because when you've got yep. strong roots, you can grow. Yes. You know, it's when your roots are shallow where you you, you never know um, how long that tree is going to last, that plant's going to last. Yeah. So it's really important that education is is brought more into the fore. And that's one of the things that, you know, why I did my master's in human-computer interaction part-time is that you can't learn UX in just a year. You know, <laughs> right. that's what the master's programs are encouraging. We've worse, we've got a lot of boot camps trying to encourage that. That's it after even a week sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, no. Insane. A, you need stuff to stew. You need things to just you know, to, to marinate, to build over time. Yeah. And that's what um I think is missing in the education side of UX is that things are being seen that it can be done quickly. Yeah. Very short period of time. And that's not, that's not how it works. I, not if I, you want to do UX properly. Yeah. I just found out this week about a, a master's program. A lot of the institutions of higher learning are mm-hmm. starting to succumb to what they feel is the pressure from the boot camps. They feel that the UX boot camps are taking money out of their pocket. So now a lot of institutions of higher learning are modifying their programs so that they can compete with the boot camps. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, no. So one, one of the most decorated UX related master's programs in the world were institutions that have a, one of the institutions that has a, a, Mm -hmm. a decorated program came up with another program that only lasts for a year. Mm-hmm. So that they compete with the timelines. And now, yeah. and I came across a student, and, and, and a student is not a reflection. It's improper, I gotta say this, it's improper to judge a program by one student. We're yeah, UX true. professionals. We don't do anything by a sample set of one. What mm-hmm. I did, it, what I did see was a student that had no attention, paid no attention to detail, that did not know how to set up proper visual hierarchy. I mean, basic mm-hmm. things, some of foundations. It just mm-hmm. a lot that I looked at the person's portfolio and there were errors everywhere. And, and they didn't even, it, when you're, you're a UXer and you have a UX portfolio, what a novel idea to reflect good UX in your portfolio, That's right. <laughs> you know? And I didn't see that. And so I became curious. I can't get like put down the program because I know the institution, I know what they stand for, but that's mm-hmm. somebody they let out there. I teach at three institutions now. And, and I've seen people come through those programs, frankly, that I wouldn't work with if you paid me. Well, yeah, they do have to pay me, right? But you, you get my drift. It, yeah. It's but these programs cannot. They can They got to hold their their ground. They've got to stand up for the ethic. There's ethics in education. Yeah, and, that's and, right. And they're not. They're not doing it. And, and and now you have a lot of programs, UX related programs, that are now being run by non UXers. Which I've always found um, <laughs> absolutely baffling, because you, you when you go to medical school, it's always led yes. by a consultant, someone who's been in medicine yes. and education for years, always yes. without fail, without fail, without fail. Yeah, medical school. Someone that they would that folks today, the average person today would call a gatekeeper. gatekeepers bring health real gatekeepers i got a series coming up on that too and i'm doing some research because i'm gonna i'm gonna hit it hard and Mm -hmm. and, and matter of fact when people say that gatekeeping is bad or call people gatekeepers they're actually acknowledging their ignorance Mm -hmm. uh look it up be a uxer to the information you share uh (laughs) make sure that what you're saying is valid before you open your mouth 
and yeah. and uh, yeah, we got to do that. We we are about to run. We're about to run out of time. This this has been dynamite. No, this is a condensed talking shot. We'll do this yeah. again, and we can yeah for sure. Especially for sure. when I get my Mac back, and <laughs> we can do this again, <laughs> and and uh, I don't have to worry about how the the sound is coming in, all the little bugaboos we ran into today. But this is dynamite. But we're, we know we got it. We got to wrap it up here. Uh, I thank you for your time and for sharing today with everybody Dr. Giles and I want to have you on one of the other segments where we have two three other people too and we're all going back and forth those are really dynamic the energy level of all of these is off the charts and I really love that that people are willing to share and there's too many people in the I talk about the voices Mm -hmm. uh, and having the voices and it's sad that and I'll say it and people hate me for it but you know so be it Uh, there's a lot of people who should be more willing to give back to the community so we can make the community better. That's right. That's the only way that um, we grow strong is that um, those who have acquired some strength use that strength to pull others up. And in the case of UX, it's about sharing what you've learned. It's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned on my journey in life, but also in UX is that you have to give back. You've got to pay it forward. Yep. Don't just hoard knowledge and skills for yourself. Because one day you will no longer exist. If it's only with you, then how will anybody else be able to benefit? Yep. You've got to share what you learn, especially in healthcare. If I want to really improve the health outcomes of people on a global scale, I can't do it alone. I'm just one man. There's right. only eight billion right. people on the planet. I've got to work with others. Yep. So yeah, it's so important to to, to give back to the community always. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Great words. So, folks, that is all the time we have for today. We're really happy that you took the time to join us. Tell other folks about the podcast. Uh, Reach out to me. Let me know if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover, and we will do exactly that. So, until next time, this is your host, Darren Hood of The Word of UX, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.